0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. You know, this is uh, an interesting time that we live in. And uh, I got to tell you, it's one part of this has been this incredible blessing is my all three of my boys, my daughter-in-law, my grandson, my two dogs, my wife, everybody's under one roof. And every night we've been cooking together and laughing and playing games. And there's a lot of stuff we got to figure out. Our business has stopped. This is a different reality. Has allowed me, though, to step into that same level of just trusting the Lord that I had as we recovered, as many of you guys know, from my accident. And I feel like it's the same place. I'm looking at each day from a place of peace, i just be honest with everybody, because I've just seen God's faithfulness in everything that we've ever done. And just also want to share with you, and I'm really excited about our guest today. If you guys have ever heard of a book called Every Man's Battle? It's really about how do we win this whole war on what's going on sexually in our world, all the influences in the lives, especially of our sons, because I read this book with each one of my boys, and it's created this habit of what's called a reading book. And when um, I got an email that Steve Arterburn was interested in coming on the podcast, oh my gosh, I was like instantly like reply, 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 yes, please. And so Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you,
1: John. Great to be with you.
0: Yeah. So Steve Thanks and Fred Stoker, me. you guys wrote Every Man's Battle, and it's been an incredible part of our entire family. I know so many people are probably familiar with this title, and if you're not, after today, go order it. Uh, one for you and one for every kid you have in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, you'll see why later. It's been amazing, and uh, but it also led to a habit of us reading with our kids. But here's what I'd like to do, because there's so much going on in the world today. Things has even changed. Uh, Steve and I literally have been talking, I think, the last half hour, huh, Steve? We, we were just totally connected and just talking about all these things going on in the world before I even hit record. So before we kind of dig into how to not only just our kids, but ourselves with the influences going on, right, as, as men, Steve, I'd just love for you to just share a little bit about your journey, your history, kind of your backstory. Well, um,
1: my parents were very strict Southern Baptist. And, um, you know, I tell people when they started selling Cokes and cans, we weren't allowed as kids to drink Cokes out of cans because my parents didn't want people thinking that the Arterburn boys were drinking beer out of cans. So we had to drink Coke out of bottles. Well, we were drinking beer anyway, so it didn't really matter. But but for whatever reason... Did you put the beer in the Coke bottles? That would have (laughs) worked. For whatever reason, they didn't think it was harmful for me as a four-year-old to uh, go into my grandfather's office. And um, he had pinups and other pornography up on the walls. And um, just naked... Women everywhere. And so that was my exposure very early on. And that just continued. And of course, if you um, objectify women the way my grandfather did, and you have exposure to someone like me, then the me is going to probably objectify women also. And so um, objectification led to promiscuity. Uh, just seeing women as something there for men's pleasure and body parts rather than a real whole human being and uh, in the promiscuity, I got a girl pregnant, and if you objectify a woman when she gets pregnant, what's inside of her is just another object, and so um I paid or I pressured uh, her to have an abortion and um didn't really think much about it. But I, after it was over, I realized I had destroyed a human being, my child. And um, I ended up uh, with about 80 ulcers inside of me. I almost died from the ulcers.
0: The, just the shame from all of that. And um, hey, Steve, can I ask you a question there? Because I'll, I'll never forget it. I was in a Bible study with a good friend of mine. I could just tell something was wrong cause we were really starting to get deep and really grow together as this group. And, and then he started skipping and, uh, me and one of my other friends from the Bible study grabbed him and, and there was something he did not want to share. I could yeah. tell. And we just sat there and loved on him until it came out. It was in incredible tears, but he had pressured a girlfriend in high school This was before he was even a believer, right? Was not raised in a Christian household to get an abortion. And then it it was so part of the fabric of his friend group when he was in college, a girlfriend, he found out afterwards, but a girl who he'd been kind of casually dating, just having sex with, got pregnant, um, and she just went and had an abortion and didn't even tell him. And so he felt he was part of two murders. And how could God ever love somebody like him? That all this stuff that we're talking about in the Bible does not apply to him because of who he is. Like, he was not covered by that. He felt like he was set apart, but not in a good way. And if you wouldn't mind right now, cause I'm sure I'll guarantee, you, I know people are listening in our audience that either have friends that are right in that spot or that's where they are right now. How would you share and help them? Well, after it was over with,
1: I felt like, because I was a believer, but I felt like what God wanted me to do was to prove to the world that nobody uh, had ever felt worse. No one uh, had more shame than me. And so I bore all of that shame and guilt because I thought that's what would honor God now that I'd made this horrible mistake. I was listening to Christian radio. Chuck Swindoll was on. Mm-hmm. And I heard this, your past just ended one second ago. So why would you live in it? Mm. And, you know, that was just a little seed. And then I started to realize that this is what Satan wanted me to do. And that that is not what Christ wanted me to do. Christ wanted me to accept his forgiveness and um, really believe that if I confess my sin, there would be no condemnation, that that would be wiped out. And that's when I began uh, to open up about what I did and to start a different path. But this uh, shame that any man is feeling, it might not show up on the surface like it did with me. You might wonder why you have a difficult time connecting with your children. Or you might uh, wonder why you don't really know what God's love is when everybody talks about it. And Mm. it could be you've never resolved this issue with abortion. Uh, You know, Promise Keepers is planning an event in Dallas in July uh, at Cowboy Stadium, July 31st, August 1st. And um, they asked, you know, a lot of people they could ask, they asked me to be one of their seven speakers. And when they asked me, they said they felt like they needed me to talk on uh, pornography. But also, there's so many men that are struggling, just like you're describing, with the effects of having paid for or pressured a woman uh, to have an abortion, that they really wanted me to talk about that and deal with it. Uh, so I think you're right on. There are so many uh, men that are struggling with the after effects or the aftermath of having paid for an abortion.
0: Yeah. Cause I, well, I shared with you and my audience has heard, right. My son got a girl pregnant in high school and we, he and I had read every man's battle uh, and he knew exactly where I stood on the subject. But I got to tell you, uh, Steve, something that was really, really wonderful was because, you know, we'd talked about all this Going through this, I mean, you've had 4 million copies of this book sold. So, I mean, you've hit an area where we need equipping, right? We're not, I never had conversations like this with my dad. But the way, and if you guys haven't gone through this, the way that you go through this and create these deep, intimate, vulnerable conversations between a father and a son, which is what you facilitated with us, he and I had developed such a, a strong relationship. But he was afraid to tell me like I, there was like something physically wrong. Like he was coming home from school. He was having yeah. GI problems. And all of a sudden he just broke down and blurted out that he got a girl pregnant. And the only reaction me and my wife had was to because he was crying, was to cry with him, reach over, hug him and tell him we love you. It, this doesn't affect anything. And we're going to be here with you and walk with you through this every step of the way. And you had created the, and i and I think i so thankful though, for the work that you guys did putting this book, because I really believe that God used that for us to create a relationship and lay a foundation and talk about just some great principles that allowed us to actually walk through this together a j our grandson has become this incredible part of our family. Mm-hmm. I've seen my my son move into a fatherhood role, but he also I honestly think this was part of it. There was a lot of pressure in his Christian high school to get an abortion because they knew the consequences. He he got expelled from his Christian high school because they chose life. Believe that. And then we went to the principal. We went to the board, and they would not even change their policies. They were shunned from the community, which was so toxic in his life. And you encouraged me to do a whole other podcast episode just on that, and I think we're going to do that to talk about how do we actually handle things well, I in the just
1: wanna, I just have to say, yeah i want to just say that when you were telling me that story it was hard for me to believe in this day and age that there are still uh, christian schools that have a policy like that because literally um 20 30 years ago most every christian school has realized that having that kind of attitude or or policy makes you part of the abortion industry. And, you know, I was at a Christian university and it was that same kind of attitude that prevailed. And most, most every Christian institution and school has seen that having a policy like that uh, just guarantees that when a young woman gets pregnant, the abortion is probably gonna be the number one option. And so I, I just applaud your son and the young woman that he was with, that they were able to bring a life into the world. And also, you know, I'm so glad you were able to talk about it because we've been telling parents for 20 years now, once you can talk about this issue, there's nothing that you can't talk to your kids about, everything you,
0: know, <laughs> you know that's true, and we've been able to share so much uh since then now, Could you share with people that maybe aren't familiar with your book? You know if you sat down and went through this at a couple different ages, what's gonna kind of evolve and happen um you know going through this because I think it's even more important today in kind of the this whole Me Too, you know, the hashtag Me Too culture and movement. How do we really help, I guess, even ourselves as men in this world, but especially with our our kids develop this a godly view of women, of sexuality, of the connection between, you know, healthy relationships. And I, I know there's tons of peer pressure out there for the kids. And with what's happening in the world right now, you just mentioned before we started, right? The the stats are starting to come in. People going to porn sites is just rising dramatically, which is not surprising, but very unfortunate.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I think I'd probably start with uh, me. I'm over uh, 60, of course, and my wife and I have had, I think, the kind of sexual experiences in the past few years that God really intended for sex to be, where um, it's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it pulls us together in a supernatural way, and it has taken us a long time to get here because of, you know, what, I think Satan wants to do. Sex is such a a powerful, amazing experience that Satan, of course, has used this as a major battleground to get us off track. Mm. And um, I would just say this, if you've ever been to a wax museum uh, or wondered why they even exist, the reason is we all wanna be next to some people that are powerful or famous or whatever, but in the absence of being close to the real thing, we'll seek out the perfect counterfeit and we'll find some satisfaction in the counterfeit, but we should never ever be confused that that is not the real thing. And with sex, you can start to believe that the counterfeit is the real thing, and it's not. So when you get involved with pornography, you're moving yourself away from having this great sexual intimacy with the person you're married to to convincing yourself until it finally doesn't work anymore uh, that the counterfeit is the Mm -hmm. ultimate. And Mm -hmm. about um, two years ago, there was a Time magazine uh, cover story on teenagers uh, giving up pornography. And it wasn't because they had all grown in their faith or something like that. But they discovered, like many men do, they were neutered by pornography. They had erectile dysfunction as teenagers, not with pornography. They oh. could fully function with pornography. But with when it came to a real-life human being that had emotions and and uh, might have a judgment or might have an opinion about them or something, uh, unable to uh, function as a man. And we've seen that over and over again. And uh, ever since Hugh Hefner died, of course, uh, we're able to hear the truth that the founder of Playboy was telling everybody this is the real way to live. uh, He was sexually dysfunctional, and it didn't work for him. So there's this big lie out there (laughs) <laughs> and if you fall into this lie... I hadn't heard that, but that doesn't uh, surprise me. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you fall into this lie that this isn't that bad, doesn't hurt anybody, you're you're really destroying your ability to be a competent and confident male sex partner and experience this amazing thing that some people think, how could God have invented this? It's so much uh, fun and exciting. You're destroying that. And you might think that, uh, well, I'll do this, and then one day I'll get married it'll go away. No, it makes it worse. Um, and I would tell them this here's something that we didn't know twenty years ago when we wrote this book. when a uh, mother nurses her baby, God has provided a hormone, a chemical called oxytocin, that is a bonding hormone, and so while the nursing's going on this this chemical's in the baby; it's in the mother, and uh, it's a bonding hormone. So she bonds to the baby through nursing in a supernatural way. The hormone not only bonds you to the baby, but if the cave woman is bonded to the baby and there's a lion at the cave door, she will secure the baby and she'll go kill that lion because it makes you supernaturally aggressive against anything that threatens what you value and are bonded to. Well, when you have a sexual experience, oxytocin is also a hormone that's released throughout your system, gives you a feeling after you've had a sexual experience of well-being, peace, uh, but that bonds you to your wife. And it's it's why we want to see people having sex through their 90s, because it is a supernatural bonding experience. But if you're having that with pornography, you are bonding with pornography. And not only that, anything that's a threat to what you're bonded to, you will be aggressive against it to protect what you're bonded to. So when you're married and your wife uh, is asking you about what are you doing in there? What's on your phone and all this? You don't even realize why it is that this person you fell in love with that you thought was so fantastic you hate her now. You, you don't want to be around her now because you are bonded to your dirty pictures and you're aggressive toward anything that threatens what you're bonded to. That's something we didn't understand. But if you could understand that, you might understand why you can't wake up one day and just say, I think I'm going to stop this. You have to get some help, have another brother come along, open up about it, and uh, when you can humble down and do that, you can take care of this problem.
0: Well, I'll tell a personal story about that because people okay. know I don't I don't mind being a little bit vulnerable, but, you know, I was in the Navy. I was a fighter pilot. And it was kind of part of the, you know, you're on the ship, right? So it's there. I wasn't a believer at the time. So, you know, looking at porn, I didn't think it was a big deal. Yeah. Right. Just kind of what you did. And then um, I get back and, you know, at this point, I've been married seven years and, We'd had our our first uh, son and, you know, Donna is totally focused on our new son. So this then became what I thought was an acceptable substitute, an outlet. But I'll never forget when she found out about it and confronted me. Oh, man, it was like I blew up. I I was totally in like what you just described, like how from my perspective, it's no big deal. But as she shared and we talked about this. I didn't understand, though, how hurtful, or when she was describing how hurtful this was to her, right, I was totally dismissive of it, thought she was totally overreacting, like, how dare you, this isn't a big deal, hey, it's your fault, I went to those places, just like you're talking about. And then we started, we went to our pastor, and we actually went through, um, and here's something else, just talk about, you know, your whole concept of reading book, you know what he had us do and it was wonderful, is he had us started reading different books together. We started out with, I think, you know, like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. and But we just started reading books on healthy Christian marital relationships. And we'd read, you know, 10 or 20 pages every night. This is what he made us do. And then we'd talk about what we learned. And I got to tell you, it was transformative in our marriage. But I, I got to tell you, in the moment, I didn't understand how it was affecting me in our relationship, and I gotta tell you like today we've been married thirty years right we're we're inseparable we're best friends. we walk down the street holding hands we're I mean we have an amazing life, and i I could have robbed myself of all that um, had not somebody really intervened, which started with my wife and saying, "We need to go see somebody yeah which I didn't want to do, but I really liked it and trusted our pastor, and so we started having some of those conversations so but you're right, though, you know, if if it's something, if you're out there listening and you're struggling with it, you know, if you got yourself into a jam because of your own actions and decisions, and what I, it, I used to think I was smart enough to get myself out of a jam I got myself into. I realized that's not the case. And you know what? I know it's uncomfortable, but go find somebody in your life who's, you can trust another guy, go grab a virtual coffee or coffee when you can and just say, you know, I need some help, right? Because for a lot of guys too, Steve, it's, it's hard to like go admit, especially to a Christian friend, hey, this is something I've fallen into and I need some help because right? It's, it's embarrassing.
1: Well, more Christian men struggle with it than don't. You know, I'm a teaching pastor at the third fastest growing church in America, Northview Church in Carmel. One morning I was saying, you know, uh, isn't it wonderful that about 30% of the men here read their Bible every day this week? But isn't it sad that about 60% of the men use pornography sometime during the week? And that's the reality.
0: Are those the numbers?
1: Those are the numbers. Oh, my goodness. 60% of Christian men are still... Uh, not totally resolved with this issue. So here's what I say: um, yeah. If you feel convicted that you should quit, okay, quit. Now, when you use again, <laughs> then <laughs> you might think about talking to another guy. And chances mm-hmm. are uh, he struggles with it too. In our church, we have uh, every, any given week, you've got 400 guys in groups that deal with sexual integrity, then, you know, if, if just working with a guy isn't enough, come to our workshop. We do an Every Man's Battle intensive over a weekend. Uh, but once you reach a point where you say, I'm willing to do whatever to take care of this thing, then you've got this whole life of integrity and freedom and, and just purity. And that's what you want to go for. And if you've never lived in that
0: realm, you know, you've got something pretty wonderful ahead of you. Right. So the bottom line here is 60% of us, right? If we're looking around our Bible study group, more than half of us are probably looking at it, which means that if you go tell your friend that you're struggling with it, he's probably going to say, well, thank you for opening the door to this conversation (laughs) because I've been struggling with it too. So, Hey, let's, let's figure this out together. You'll be the, the admired one, not the shamed one. Yeah, I I think we got to change the perspective on that, I think. Now, here's a question for you, right, with, for our kids, right, the, the influences that are out there that are just so constant and massive and manipulative and subtle, right? Right. In addition to having these conversations and reading through this book, so let's say now, you know, I've read through the book, and now my kids are moving, right? This is what I thought was always a challenge for me as a dad. You know, they're 17, 18, 19, 20. They're moving into their kind of their own world. And I think it's honestly that time frame that is, as a parent, actually one of the most influential and important times that I actually need to stay in the role of dad, not just transition to the role of friend as you go off into your life. Yeah. What have you seen that, that has helped, you think, fathers, mothers stay really connected to their kids and help them as they're kind of moving out into the world and outside from underneath our, you know, our house?
1: Yeah, well, I think you want to, um, your thing about staying connected is so important because they're going to get connected, even in the healthiest of schools, they're going to get connected or have a good chance of getting connected to seeing the things that aren't so healthy. So, you know, you want to be the parent, but at this age, 19, 20, 21, uh, any kind of um, shaming or anger-based uh, response or reaction, those things have to go away. And you, you really have to be the voice of wisdom and restraint. Um, and you have to pursue them. You know, you can't wait for them to call you or whatever. Mm. But I regularly am in contact, text, FaceTime, calling. And then when, um, you know, I get that call that uh, they want some advice, they're looking for some wisdom there, then I know it's paying off. But you, you have to pursue your kids rather than, uh, you know, launch them out of your house, but pursue them. And if you don't, there's a good chance you're going to have a lot of time to talk to them because they're going to move back home because they're not going to do well. But so we do everything we can to get them to relocate geographically. But in that, the farther they are out of the house, the more you want to try to find ways to connect with them and be part of their life every step of the way. And that even means, especially means just talking to one of my friends, when the child decides to live in a way that goes against everything that you ever taught them, you really still have to pursue them. Even though it might even disgust you
0: to do it, that's when we're called to love the most and the hardest. Hmm. I'm just thinking uh, of some friends of mine that have shared some really tough stories with decisions their kids have made and lifestyle they're living. And I think Showing them that we love them unconditionally, like I was telling with you, Steve, right? Yeah, my accident seemed when I was in Father God's presence and the love that he had for me in that moment, I knew was not conditioned on anything I'd ever done in the past. Yeah. And I think of our kids know that we love them unconditionally, right? And we're constantly trying to teach them without nagging them. Right. And modeling for them and sharing with them how wonderful, like, you know. My kids are constantly saying to me and my wife, you know, get a room or, ooh, but I'll guarantee, I know. They love it. They love the fact absolutely. that me and my wife are absolutely yeah. head over with each other after 30 years. Well, you know, um, I mean, this isn't the heart of our
1: interview here, but um, <laughs> there's there so many parents, you know, if a child says, okay, I'm I'm gay and, and uh, now what do we do? And I'm always... Um, And, you know, I I had two gay uh, brothers, and so I've spent more than five minutes thinking about this, and I really believe that, you know, people say the Bible can be interpreted in different ways. On this issue, I don't think there is any confusion. I don't think you can, if you're looking for truth, interpret the Bible uh, to believe that this is a good thing, or this is something that God approves of, but... All these parents, you know, I I asked them, are you talking to your child about the child or are you still uh, preaching at them? Because they know how you feel about this. So you don't need to remind them every time you talk to them that this is how we feel about this. They need to know how you feel about them. Because a lot of times people get into a different way of life because they think, that it's going to fix everything. Everything's going to be great. Then they discover that that isn't true. And so if you've been assuring them and connecting with them in spite of whatever they're going through, then you've got a greater chance that they're going to come to you when they're having some doubts about whatever they chose. My wife does a group for women with sexual integrity problems. And um, this woman found the group. Uh, in the middle of her sex change that she was going through. And because these women loved on her and accepted her, uh, she stopped that process right in the middle of it. And of course... And it wasn't
0: was, because she was criticized, condemned, shamed over maybe her choices, because here's a group of people that accepted her for who she was.
1: Just, uh, just the opposite. It, loved it, it, on her. Yeah.
0: And they got to know her...
1: And then she sensed that who she was as created had value and she stopped the whole process. And of course, she'll always talk like a man now. But, you know, that's just an example of just the exact opposite of what out of your own, your own disappointment or your anger, bitterness, whatever, you produce a worse situation rather than a better one rather than do what Jesus did. You know, he would meet with people who were full of sin and, and he would connect with them and a short guy up a tree before it's over with, he's giving away the money, he's making restitution, you know, woman at the well, just over and over, Jesus was full of grace in the midst of truth. And that's what we need to be when our kids go a different direction.
0: Yeah. I love that grace in the midst of truth, right? Because you know what? You can't have influence over somebody. You can't, unless you really have a deep connection that doesn't have an agenda. Your agenda is to actually love that person, right? And if they're not in a relationship with Christ too, they're they are under, you know, we, we can't hold them to the, the same standards that we have at the time also, That's right? right. Uh, it's different. Uh, I'll never forget. I remember a woman after my accident, I had shared my testimony of what happened in my accident to a group, and she came up to me afterwards and said, I really want to hear more about that. And she was a very left-wing lesbian woman, and we actually sat there and talked for hours. And she brought up all this stuff. like I was in shock at the shame, the condemnation, the hurtful things that have been said to her by Christians uh, in her journey, her life. And she wrote me a two-page letter after that conversation, Steve, thanking me. She goes, I have never in my life yet had a conversation with somebody who was a Christian where I came away actually feeling good about myself because what I talked about, the only thing I knew how to do in that moment, I was still recovering from my accident, was talk about who Jesus was, my relationship with him, the nature of the Father, the nature of Jesus, and what they do. Because you know, all the other stuff of the world and what everybody else says, I said, Hey, I can just point you toward what I know to be truth. And this is truth, right? And point her toward a relationship with Christ and, and go from there. And that was our whole conversation. Uh, And her and I have continued to stay in touch now over many, many, many years. That really kind of floored me that, that she says, you know, that that was the first conversation that she ever had where she wanted to engage in with somebody who is a believer. And it's, um, It's really sad
1: that that's the experience. It makes me want to tell you that uh, my middle brother, back in the early 80s, uh, died from AIDS. Mm -hmm. Uh, And back then, it was very virulent. And if you got it, you probably died pretty quickly from it. But he lived with me for a while, and then eventually had to move back home. And that Southern Baptist Church I was telling you about, uh, all those redneck Southern Baptist men in Texas, when my brother moved back in with my parents, uh, the deacons came over to the to the house and and in this era, people may not even remember this or know this, but people's houses got burned down or people were told to leave town if they had AIDS. So the deacons come over and they tell my parents any expense, medical expense that isn't covered by insurance, the church is going to pay for it for your son and anytime his brothers want to come in. And relieve you guys, we're going to pay their airfare to come in. And uh, you've been so faithful to us at this church. Every day we're going to have somebody come over here just to spend time with you guys and minister to you. That was Jesus <laughs> coming right. through these folks that if you look at the surface, you'd say, this is going to be a bad situation. But they really proved their faith to be true and authentic. And I love to tell that story because. You know, if we had more people being Jesus like that, you might have a lot of people living a different way because they're not reacting against something uh, because they believe that, you know, God really is the God. Well, the Bible says God is rich in mercy.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, are we? like, uh, Like my son's high school here in Colorado, they were the opposite of rich in mercy.
1: No, and, and if I was, and, it,
0: and that's affected my son his whole life. Yeah. And if I was meeting with them, I would say,
1: You represent to a young man God. God is love. It doesn't say God's loving, it said God is love. And when people experience God, it is love. When people tell me about condemnation and other kinds of things, I go, Wow, I wonder where that voice is coming from because God is total love. In fact, you know, Albert Einstein wrote letters to his daughter, and I just read one the other day, and he says, the most powerful source of energy that has never been fully understood is love. And he said, love, oh. he says, love is God, and God is love. Albert Einstein said that. So anyway, I would say to this fool, <laughs> I would say, you are anything but love, And when it says God is rich in mercy, you are poor in mercy. You are not representing God. You have to get right together. Now, if that was a secular school, I wouldn't say that because I would, a secular school, they do whatever they do. They they don't have a standard. But a Christian school, you know, those were the people, the institutions of faith, And the arrogant leaders, those are the ones that Jesus encountered with anger and with judgment. And we should do the same thing when somebody is misrepresenting God in a Christian institution.
0: Yeah. Amen. Man, I I love that message. And that's what we need to do, right? Because Christianity, like the brand of being a Christian, has been damaged by people like that. There's this amazing opportunity for us to actually rebuild that on the love of Christ, especially in this environment that we find ourselves in right now. This is a time where we can provide hope and love and support in service of God and in service of our fellow man that's around us. Right. I've seen, I've seen so many amazing acts of kindness and concern and, Communities coming together, even though we can't be together in person, it's been really heartwarming.
1: Well, people should ask, is your faith, would it be better termed Christianity or Haitianity, mm. or or shamanity? Because, you know, it's just like when I make pumpkin pie, it's got to have pumpkin to be pumpkin pie. And Christianity really has to have Christ if it's going to be...
0: Christianity. And a lot of Christianity. that's love, right? right. Yeah. So how do people find you, connect with you? The the book, you can find it anywhere. Every Christian bookstore, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. It's called Every Man's Battle. And you also, uh, you guys uh, wrote uh, another one too for daughters. Is that correct?
1: Every Woman's Battle, Every Young Woman's Battle.
0: But look, if you need a resource,
1: 1-800-NEW-LIFE is the place uh, to call. We also have a Life Recovery Bible. is a Bible I edited. It's uh, the Bible that the uh, Prison Fellowship gives away. But anyway, in that Bible, we have a, uh, a workbook that goes with it on sexual integrity. You work through the 12 steps with that. And we have a workshop that we do, and it's pretty powerful at
0: 1-800-NEW-LIFE. That's who to call. 1-800-NEW-LIFE, and that's N-E-W, right? Just. Like it sounds. Okay, great. And, you know, just as we wrap up, Steve, just any final thoughts to leave with people if they've been listening to our conversation?
1: Yeah. um, You can live like you're doing, but you just might be worshiping yourself, uh, which, you know, Satan doesn't want you worshiping Satan. He wants you worshiping you. And so if it's all about you and your pleasure and stuff, you might think about there's another way to live. And uh, Romans 12 two says you can literally transform your whole life mm. by changing the way you think. And so we want to invite you to do that. And if we can help you, you call us at 1-800-NEW-LIFE.
0: And that's awesome. So I, I hope people reach out to you. I know that you, and we've never talked until now, this has been really wonderful for me, have made an impact on, on me as a father, the health of our family, the relationships that we have that I know are, Especially with this reconnection that's happening right now, is just—it's going to be foundational and something we build on for the rest of our lives. So, thank you, Steve, for what you do. Please give my best to Fred. I will. Well, and up
1: the good work that you're doing.
0: Yeah, thank you.